to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of John, chapter 16, verse 10, as we follow along with today's lesson. Paul the Apostle, who was a Pharisee, in describing his life before he met Jesus, declared that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Concerning the law, he said, I was blameless. He had a tremendous zeal for the law, but he didn't know the Father, nor did he know the Son. But when he came to know the Son, then all of the credit that he had gained in his obedience to the law and the rituals. He said, I counted loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, for whom I suffered the loss of all of the prestige and all that I had, but I counted all but refuse that I might know him. The knowledge of Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is of Christ, and be found, he said, in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but now the righteousness which is of Christ through faith. So our hope for the future is that we might be accepted into the kingdom of God, that God will receive us into glory. It's an interesting thing to me how that when anyone dies, we always want to think of them as being in heaven. Now, they may live like the devil, but when they die, we try to remember the good characteristics and hopefully they are in heaven. And and we want to picture them in heaven. Why? Because that is our desire. That when I die, I might be received by God into his kingdom, the eternal habitations of God. Now, God has made provisions for my sins through Jesus Christ that when I die, I can enter into heaven. But what is the righteous standard that God will allow into heaven? And the righteous standard is Jesus Christ. His ascension into heaven was God's declaration that this is the righteousness that I will receive into heaven. Anything less will not do. You have to be as righteous as 
Jesus Christ. You say, impossible. Good. You're learning. (laughs) It's impossible for me to be as righteous as Jesus Christ. And thus God has made the provision that he will account me righteous by my faith in Jesus Christ so that the righteousness of Christ is now accounted to me or imputed to me. And God imputes righteousness to those who believe. This is nothing new. We read, And Abraham believed God, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. His faith in God was accounted by God to Abraham for righteousness. And so with us, the righteousness of Christ through faith, which God imputes to me, guarantees me entrance into the kingdom of God. But anything less, even the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees won't get you in. Except your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. But the righteousness of Christ does exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees that is imputed unto me, and thus I'm guaranteed entrance into the kingdom of heaven. The Holy Spirit will testify or convict of judgment. Now, not the judgment to come. We do know that there is a day of judgment coming. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That judgment seat of God is mentioned by John in the book of Revelation chapter 20. Jesus speaks about when he returns to the earth, then he will gather together the nations to judge them. And and there is a day of judgment coming. People may think that they're getting by. They're not. One day, every man will stand before God, the books will be open, and the Bible says everything is naked before him whom we have to do. I mean, you can't hide anything from God. You're an open book as far as your life is concerned. The beautiful thing, though, is by my believing in Jesus Christ, All of the negative things I've ever done have been blotted out, erased, forgiven. And my page just says righteous. (laughs) The righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to me because of my faith in Jesus. But Jesus isn't talking about the judgment to come, but he's talking about the judgment of Satan that was to take place when he would die upon the cross. Now remember, this is the evening before his death. Before noon, he will be hanging on the cross, dying for the sins of the world. But by his death, he will be bringing judgment against Satan. Satan was called by Jesus the prince of this world here and, of course, in the 14th chapter of John. The Bible speaks of his ruling over the kingdoms of the earth. 
the kingdoms and the governments of the earth controlled and ruled by the powers of darkness. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against these spirit forces that are in high places, the rulers of darkness. But Jesus, through the cross, triumphed over the principalities and powers of darkness. And Satan was defeated as far as his ability to control the world and man any longer. It is only by man's consent that Satan can control his life. Through Jesus Christ, the power that Satan once had over me is broken. The power that Satan has held over you was broken through Jesus Christ, through his death upon the cross, so that Satan can no longer reign or rule over you. His power is broken. And so the Holy Spirit testifies of that victory, that life of victory that we can know and experience through Jesus Christ. By our believing in him, we are empowered by him and the darkness no longer holds sway over us. It is the expelling power of the stronger force. The darkness has been expelled by the light. And if you have Jesus Christ dwelling in you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so the Spirit's witness, testimony, is that of the victory that you and I can know today in and through Jesus Christ that we don't have to be held in the power of darkness, in the grip of Satan, but we through him have been set free. Now Jesus said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you can't bear them now. I wonder what those things were. Paul the Apostle, writing to the Corinthians, said that he wanted to give them meat, but they still had need of milk. Uh, they weren't able to, to really take solid spiritual food. They were still like babies who... Uh, needed to be fed with milk because they weren't yet capable of digesting stronger meat. Jesus had still a lot of things to say, but they just weren't yet mature enough where he could share them with them. He knew that it would shatter them uh, if he would reveal them at that time. So the Holy Spirit... He will come and he will then begin to reveal these things to you. Through the New Testament, through the epistles, we have those things that the Holy Spirit shared, the things that they weren't able at that point to receive. And so later on, the Holy Spirit came and as Jesus said, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it, 
When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you the things to come. Actually, uh, the book of Revelation is uh, the Holy Spirit showing John the things that are going to come, things of the future. Paul the Apostle wrote a lot about the coming Antichrist and the coming again of Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church. Uh, These things, uh, Jesus said, you're not able to bear now, but the Holy Spirit, he's going to teach you these things and he's going to show you the things to come. For he shall glorify me, for he shall receive from me and he will show it unto you. In the first chapter of the book of Acts, as Jesus, now some 43 days later, after the 15th chapter here, just before he ascends into heaven, he is talking to his disciples, and he, Luke tells us, the former treatise, that is the Gospel of Luke, Have I made O Theophilus, a friend of Luke's, to whom he is writing, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up? So all of the things that Jesus taught and all until his ascension or before his ascension are found in the Gospel of Luke. Of all the things that Jesus uh, did and taught, Uh, the beginning of the ministry of Jesus until his ascension. But after that, that is, after his ascension, he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. I have many things to say to you. You can't bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And and so after his ascension, the Holy Spirit came to guide them into all truth and to show them things to come. As the Holy Spirit would receive from Jesus and impart unto them. Jesus then said, A little while and you shall not see me. And again, a little while and you shall see me because I go to the Father. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. A little while and you're not going to see me. I'm ascending to the Father. I'm returning to the one who sent me. But you will see me. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Then some of his disciples among themselves said, What is this that he is saying unto us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. They said, Therefore, 
What is this that he saith a little while? We can't tell what he is saying. So uh, I'm sure that this happened a lot. <laughs> that when Jesus would speak about these things, they just didn't understand it. And they'd get together and say, what does he mean now? What's he talking about now? I don't understand this, you know. And, uh, and, and so they were in this little huddle, uh, sort of wondering just what is he saying to us? They, they still could not accept the, the fact that he was going to die. They still did not understand fully what his ascension into heaven would mean. And they're being gathered together with him again in the heavenly kingdom. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him. And he said unto them, Do you inquire among yourselves of what I said? A little while and... You will not see me again a little while, and you shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you that you're going to weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. When you see me hanging on the cross, when you see me dying, when you see me being put in the tomb, you're going to have sorrow. You're going to weep and have lamentations. But the world will be rejoicing. But your sorrow is going to be turned into joy. The joy of the resurrection. You will see me. The joy of the resurrection. And then Jesus gave an illustration. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. How quickly the pains of birth are forgotten with the rejoicing of the new life, the child that has come into the world. The Jews believed that the present age of man was going to end in a great cataclysmic judgment. And they often referred to this great cataclysmic judgment as the earth being in travail, going through the painful experience, but after this painful travail, it's going to come into the new, the truly new age, uh, the, the kingdom of God. But it would be preceded by this period of, of great tribulation. And so throughout the Old Testament, we find this this strain, this thought uh, of the tribulation, the great tribulation that is coming upon the earth. Isaiah describes uh, the cataclysmic things that will happen, as does Joel and Jeremiah. And uh, Daniel speaks about the time of tribulation that is going to come. But they are the birth pangs, the travail that will lead into the kingdom age, the glorious kingdom of God and his reign over the earth. So Jesus picks up this uh, 
analogy that was used by the Jews uh, of uh, the earth's travail. And so uh, you're going to be filled with joy when you see the new life, the resurrected life. So you therefore have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no man can take from you because it is the joy in the Lord, not in circumstances. If our joy were in the circumstances, man can take it from us because our circumstances can change. But the joy is in the Lord and our relationship with him is a constant It doesn't change, and thus the joy is a constant. No man takes it from you. And in that day, you shall ask me nothing. Now, they've been asking him all of these questions. Uh, It's been a time of questioning. They've been asking him, Lord, where are you going? And, And all of these different questions. In that day, you will ask me nothing. That is, you won't be questioning me. For verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Now he's talking about this relationship that he is bringing to us with the Father. Whatsoever we ask the Father in his name, he will give it to us. And he said, hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. So the prayer, the access that we have is through Jesus Christ. I would not dare to approach God apart from Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The glorious thing is that I can come to the Father through him. Paul tells us there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Even the Jews knew how unapproachable God was. They were reminded of it every time on Yom Kippur when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies. He only was allowed into the presence of God, that Shekinah within the Holy of Holies the common person would not dare to enter in. You remember in the time of David, even when the Ark of the Covenant was being returned to Jerusalem, when it was on the cart and the cart began to tip and a couple of fellows reached out to steady it and and they died just because it was the Ark of the Covenant and it it was holy. Man could not approach God because of sin. But through Jesus Christ, I can approach the Father. And the scripture, Hebrews said, Wherefore, let us come boldly to this throne of mercy that we might receive grace. I can come boldly now to God through Jesus Christ. He has brought me and given me access. And whatever I ask the Father in his name, 
he promised that he would do it, that my joy might be full. And then Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you in Proverbs or in parables. The, the word in the Greek is the same word translated parables. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in Proverbs or parables, and I will show you plainly of the Father. And in that day you shall ask in my name, and I don't say to you that I will pray the Father for you. Actually, you don't have to ask me to ask the Father. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and you have believed that I came out from God. Now, Jesus is saying, you don't have to ask me to ask the Father. You can just ask the Father because the Father loves you. What a glorious realization. God loves me. We think so often wrongly that God is sort of austere, fierce, unapproachable, and that Jesus sort of persuades God to see it our way or to love us or to acquiesce to our desires. No. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There was this breach between man and God because of sin. God wanted that breach to be removed so that you could know him, so that you could fellowship and know his love. And so he sent his son Jesus to take your sins and the penalty of your sins to die in your place. That was God's plan to open the door so that you could know what it is to fellowship with him. As John said, that which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you that you might have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you that your joy may be full. And if we say we have fellowship with God and yet we are walking in darkness, we lie and we're not telling the truth. But if we will walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with the other, that is, with God, as the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So that's what it's all about, God's love for you and his desire to fellowship with you and thus making the provisions so that could be possible. Jesus taking our sin, dying in our place, opening the door that I can come to the Father through him. Now, if Jesus is saying that it isn't necessary to even ask him to ask the Father, then where does that put the intercession of Mary or the saints? You see, if I can come directly to the Father, I don't need Mary's intercession, nor do I need the saints. Jesus is saying, you don't even need mine. I don't say to you, that I will pray the Father for you because the Father loves you. And because you have loved me and believe that I came out from God. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ and your trust in him, God just loves you. Because you believe that Jesus came from God to save you, from God just loves you. 
Oh, that we would realize the love of God towards us. And so Jesus is now telling them plainly, this is what it is. I came forth from the Father. I have come into the world. I have come from the Father. I've come into the world and I am now going to leave the world and go to the Father. Lord, where are you going? He's telling him very plainly, I'm going to the Father. His disciples said, oh, now you're speaking plainly. No more in a proverb. Now we are sure that you know all things. You see, they have been saying, what does he mean? You know, uh, you're going to see me and then you're not going to see me. What's what he talking about? And, and now as he, as he talks to them about the very things they were asking questions among themselves, they say, we know that you know all things. I mean, you knew what we were discussing over there in our little corner. Now we know that you know all things and you do not need that any man should ask thee. And so by, you know, we don't have to ask you the questions. You know our questions before we ask them. And by this, we believe that you came forth from God. We believe that you are God incarnate. You've come forth from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? And much like Peter, when Peter said, Lord, I will die for you, Jesus said, will you die for me? They said, Lord, we now believe. And he said, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Yes, it is now come. That you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and you shall leave me alone. When he is arrested, they're going to be scattered. The, the scripture prophesied, smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And when Jesus is crucified, they are shattered and scattered. You will leave me alone. And he said, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Never alone. Never alone. You are never alone. You who have faith in Jesus Christ, he's with you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so Jesus said, now these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Remember the end of the 14th chapter? Peace, I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. It's going to be tough. It's going to hate you. They're going to put you to death and think that they're doing God a service. In the world, you're going to be have, you'll have tribulation, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. As we mentioned early, earlier this evening, Jesus through the cross defeated Satan 
and the power that Satan has over you. The only power that Satan can, can exercise over you now is that which you allow him to do. You see, because of what Jesus Christ has done, Satan has been dethroned. But you remember in the Old Testament, the case of King Saul, when he failed to obey God, God rejected him from being the king over Israel. And God sent Samuel down to the house of Jesse to anoint David to be God's anointed king over Israel. But Saul was still on the throne. David was the anointed king. Saul was on the throne. The kingdom belonged to David, but Saul was reigning. And Saul did his best to destroy David so that he could not reign. But God's purposes were accomplished and Saul was deposed and David came to the throne. Now, you have sort of a similar situation. Jesus now is the rightful king over the earth. He has been anointed king. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But at the present time, Satan is still on the throne. But not rightly. The power that he now exercises is usurped power. He seeks to hold by the dent of force that which is no longer his. But when we as a child of God come against the force and the power of Satan in the name of Jesus through the victory that Jesus has wrought, Satan has to yield. He cannot hold on. He must yield to the authority of the name of Jesus so that the weakest child of God through Jesus Christ has authority and power over Satan and over the forces of darkness. As Martin Luther wrote, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not at him, one little word will fell him, and that is the name of Jesus. He must submit to the authority of the name of Jesus because Jesus is God's appointed and rightful king. Now, we have entered the kingdom of God by receiving Jesus as our king. And thus, being a citizen now of the heavenly kingdom, Satan has no authority or hold or power over you unless you allow him to. Now, he would like you to think that you're still under his power. He would like to come and scare you and sort of bully you. But you need to recognize your place of authority and victory and power in Jesus Christ. Yours is 
the victory. All you have to do is come against Satan's powers in the name of Jesus, and they must flee. Resist the devil, the scriptures said, and he will flee from you. He has to. That's one of your rights as a child of God. As I mentioned this morning, as we come into chapter 17, it is like entering into the Holy of Holies. As Jesus is praying to the Father, These words spake Jesus, and he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. From the first part of John's gospel, Jesus was aware of the hour that was coming. When at the beginning of his ministry, he was in Cana of Galilee at the wedding feast and They had run out of wine, and his mother suggested by the statement they've run out of wine that he may be correct the situation. He answered and said, Woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. It's premature. In the seventh chapter, the 30th verse, It said, they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. The eighth chapter, verse 20. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him for his hour was not yet come. John 12, 23. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Of course, this was at the Passover meal with his disciples. They were in the same evening. John 12, 27, Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. John 13, 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father, Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end or to the uttermost. And now in John 17, these words spake Jesus as he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Jesus has had his final words with his disciples prior to the cross. He finished those words in the 16th chapter of John. As John in the last verse makes mention, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so that was his final words. They were words of comfort. They were words of peace. They were words of encouragement. Be of good cheer. They were words of victory. I have overcome the world. Now he no longer talks to his disciples, but now he is talking to the Father. These words spake Jesus as he lifted up his head, or lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is 
come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Now, this prayer of Jesus, that the Father would glorify the Son, is really a prayer that he might go to the cross. It isn't praying that he might receive the glory that he had before the world ever existed. He will pray for that presently. But in this first petition, he is praying about the cross. It is through the cross of Jesus Christ that God's love is to be manifested to the world. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. For God has commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And God will be glorified through the cross because there is God's manifestation of the extent of his love for you, if God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. So in the cross of Christ I glory. Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is praying now concerning the cross. Father, glorify thy son through the death upon the cross so that thy son also may glorify thee. In verse 4 he said, I have glorified thee on the earth. And now he is praying for this that he might glorify him. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, Jesus in the last part of Matthew said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. As you have given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Jesus gives us eternal life. This is the record. God has given to us eternal life. This life is in the Son and he who has the Son has life. John said, He that believeth on the Son of God hath everlasting life. Now notice that he makes mention of those that thou hast given him. And throughout uh, this 17th chapter, as he is talking to the Father, over and over again, he makes reference to those that the Father has given to him. In verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world, and thine they were, and you gave them me, and they have kept your word. Verse 11, or 9, I pray not for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. Verse 11, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, 
keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. Verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And then in verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. So, over and over again, he is referring to those that the Father has given to him. Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father draw them. If you have come to Jesus Christ, rejoice. Because it means that you are one of those that the Father has given to him. This age-old debate concerning divine election, the sovereignty of God and the human responsibility of man is one that will never be resolved in argument. People usually take one side or the other and then they argue that side Ad infinitum goes on and on and on. And it has been a very divisive argument in the church. And there are those today who are pursuing the argument to tearing down the body, lashing out against anyone who does not agree fully with their position. And their attitude is totally wrong. It, it, it goes all against what Jesus is praying for the church here in the 17th chapter. His prayer is that we might be united, that we might be one, and yet they are willing to bring the division by their insistence that theirs is the only correct position. I will frankly confess that after years in the ministry and the study of the word, I cannot reconcile in my mind the sovereignty of God with the human responsibility of man. I am convinced that the Bible teaches both. I cannot understand how they both can be true, but I believe they are because God did not call me to understand, only to believe. And so he understands, and I'm satisfied with that. And so Jesus is speaking here, and as he speaks here, he is speaking on the aspect of God's chosen, God's sovereignty, God giving them to me. All that you have given to me. Someone asked me this morning about the verse, many are called, but few are chosen. I believe that God has called all men, or all men, to repentance. I believe that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to salvation. I believe that God has opened the door of salvation to every man. 
I don't believe that anyone who has ever come to Jesus Christ has been rejected. I believe that the door is wide open for every man to come, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, And he that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. And so, though I believe that the invitation is to all men, I realize that all men have not accepted the invitation. Not all men have responded to the love of God. Not all men have submitted their lives to Jesus Christ. I also realize that God, being omniscient, knows those who will and those who will not. So those that will respond, Jesus refers to those as those that thou hast given me. There were many people who began to follow Jesus, but not all continued. When he began to say some difficult things, they followed him no more. So here is the one side of the coin those that thou hast given me. I'm so glad that the Father chose me and gave me to be one of the disciples, one of the followers of Jesus. So all, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given me. Fascinating scripture in Acts that says, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Again, the sovereignty of God. And yet, there is that human responsibility. I must come. I must surrender. God is not going to save me unless I repent, unless I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. So... How do you explain it? I can't. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, uh, that I might give eternal life to all that you have given me. And this is life eternal. This is, this is the path. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's eternal life. Knowing the only true God. Now, that acknowledges that there are many false gods. Again, God is not a name. God is a designation. Lord is not a name. Lord is a title. God is a designation of whatever it is that masters your life. That's your God. Lord is a title of, of that which rule that one which rules over you. There's only one true God. There are many false gods. The, the Bible says that gods of the heathen are many. And of course, you get into some of the polytheistic religions and, and, and they deified everything, even the emotions. They had a God for every emotion. 
the God of anger, the God of joy, the God of peace, and every emotion, they had a God for it. But there's only one true God, and eternal life only comes by knowing the one true God and His Son, Jesus Christ, who He sent into the world. Now Jesus said, I have glorified thee on the earth, and I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. We'll return with more of our in-depth study of the Gospel of John in our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on knowing the one true God. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order John 16 through 17 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the world. We thank you for the victory that we have through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the time that we can spend together as we study and learn more about your love for us, your plan for our lives, your will, that which you would have us to be and that which you would have us to do as servants of Jesus Christ. So Lord, again, we present our bodies as living sacrifices that you might use us however you desire to bring glory unto the name of Jesus our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. I'd like to tell you about a book written by Chuck Smith entitled Living Water. In this book, Pastor Chuck explains how God has the power to change your life through His Holy Spirit. This book will help you to understand how the Holy Spirit works in your life, covering such topics as who is the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do, what are the gifts of the Spirit, and how should I respond? It's Pastor Chuck's desire that by God's grace and through this book, the Lord will develop in you a hunger and thirst for the things after the Spirit that will help you come into a deep and personal
personal relationship with Him so that your life will be transformed. To find out more and to read a book preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Living Water by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD. That's 800-272-9673.